0: The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Um, It's a privilege uh, for me to continue... Uh, in our series on the Psalms this morning. And um, this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 12. Uh, Several weeks ago, I was uh, able to preach on Psalm 11. So we'll tie that together a little bit this morning. So go ahead and open up your copy of God's Word, and, and we will read Psalm 12 together. Let's give our careful attention to To this, the Lord's holy and inspired word. Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, The tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered. Because the needy groan. I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Let's ask his blessing on it. Let's pray. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, creator of all things seen and unseen, we bow before you because you alone are worthy to receive praise and honor. We ask, Lord, this morning as we read this psalm that you will open our eyes to your glory, unstop our ears that we may hear your life-giving word. Soften our hearts, Lord. Make us receptive and change us more and more as we listen into the image of our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So I think one of the great truths of Scripture is that the Lord made us to live in community, not in isolation. I mean, we know this from the very beginning of Scripture. After all, what did the Lord say after he made Adam? He said it's not good for him to be alone. And so he made Eve, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, He made her to be his companion the lord has made us to enjoy fellowship with one another and yet in light of the fall and the subsequent dangers inherent in this fallen world the community we now experience has an added dimension you see the lord intends for us now to provide one another not only with fellowship, but also with support and protection in the midst of the dangers we face. And this is a great kindness. After all, we are stronger together. But when we lose that sense of support, when we feel that we are utterly alone and without our brothers and sisters' help, I think it's easy for us to be overwhelmed by a sense of vulnerability, maybe even helplessness. So how do we navigate these situations? What do we do when the enemy's attacking and we feel isolated in the midst of the fight? Friends, how do we avoid being overwhelmed by it? Well, this morning we're looking at Psalm 8, and it's another Psalm of David. And although the specific circumstances are unclear, it's a psalm that paints a vivid portrait of one who feels left all alone when evil's closing in from all sides. And notably, the themes of this psalm flow directly out of David's earlier psalm in Psalm 11. For example in both psalms 11 and 12 david uses the phrase the children of men and in both psalms the wickedness of the children of men appears to be overwhelming you might remember that when we looked at psalm 11 david's advisors feel so overwhelmed by the wickedness of the children of men that they think the very foundations of the kingdom are being destroyed And so they urge David to run, flee to the mountain like a bird, remember? And here in Psalm 12, David picks up that theme and actually frames this psalm with references to the wickedness and perversity of the children of men at its beginning and end in verses 1 and 8. And yet, unlike Psalm 11, where David seems to be at peace in the Lord, and almost dismissive of the extent of the threat. And we hear him say confidently to his advisors in verse 1, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Instead, here he seems to acknowledge the overwhelming nature of the threat posed by the wicked. In fact, right from the very beginning... In this psalm, David, like his advisors in Psalm 11, he seems to be overwhelmed by the wickedness surrounding him. And more than that, he appears to be all alone in the fight with no support from his friends. And so we hear David say in verse 1, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished, from among the children of men. Friends, this is a cry of desperation. As one commentator put it, it's the cry of a drowning man calling out, Help! And I can't help thinking about Peter in Matthew 14 when, overwhelmed with fear, he began to sink into the sea and he cried out in desperation to Jesus, Lord, save me. And yet, notice that David doesn't say, save me, like Peter did, or like he himself did earlier in Psalm 7-1. Instead, David just says, save, O Lord, without the personal pronoun, me. And I think this hints to us that here, David isn't so much making a personal appeal To the Lord for salvation. Instead, I think he's making an appeal on behalf of all the oppressed people of God. In other words, in this cry, we're hearing David as the king of Israel, full of compassion, identifying with the desperation of his plundered and needy brothers and sisters, and crying out as their king, Save, O Lord! As if he were saying, save us, O Lord. You see, the situation in Israel was grave. So much so that here David uses hyperbolic language to describe it. He says, the godly one is gone. And the faithful have vanished. And it's notable that these words, godly and faithful, These are ones used regularly to describe the character of God. In fact, the word godly here is a form of that word "hesed," which, as you've heard so often, is a word that describes God's relentless kindness and his covenantal love. And here, David applies these words to the members of the covenant community, which makes sense. After all, God's people were called to walk before him in all his ways, imaging his godliness and faithfulness. But as David surveys the landscape, and as he observes the extent of the wickedness, he laments the seeming disappearance of such godliness and faithfulness among the people of God. It's as if if the godly one is gone and the faithful have vanished, and all he can do is cry, Save, O Lord. So, what had replaced godliness and faithfulness among the people of God? What were the wicked doing that caused David to cry out for the Lord's salvation? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that more than anything else, Godliness and faithfulness had been replaced with pride and with lust for power. The wicked had set themselves up as lords unto themselves. They refused to bow down before the lordship of Almighty God. And so we hear them say with unflinching bravado at the end of verse 4, Who is master over us? And in saying this, they resemble those of whom the psalmist says in Psalm 10:4, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are: there is no God. They had set themselves up as lords, even as gods. And at this point, their hubris and desire for power had begun to manifest itself in their merciless abuse and oppression of their brothers and sisters, most especially through their words. Notice what David describes in verses 2 through 4. He says they utter lies to their neighbors. And they speak with flattering lips. Literally, they they speak the smooth words. You know, those words... ...that give us superficial pleasure but hide the truth. And moreover, they speak with a boastful tongue and from a double heart. And that last phrase, a double heart, is striking to me. You see, it has the sense of a double-dealing heart. One that says one thing but in fact hides evil intent within... The prophet Jeremiah later captured the sense of this phrase when he said in Jeremiah 9:8, Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With his mouth, each speaks peace to his neighbor. But in his heart, he plans an ambush for him. And friends, because of all this, since they had chosen to wield their words as weapons... We hear David in verse 3 calling on the Lord to cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that makes great boasts. And we shouldn't sugarcoat David's meaning here as if he were merely calling on the Lord to silence them. You see, lips and tongue here represent the people sinning through their speech. And And David calls on the Lord ...to destroy them. Brothers and sisters, what a perversion it is to weaponize the Lord's gift of words. And while it's true that David doesn't provide us with many specifics, it is clear to us that at the heart of the perversion he and the other faithful were facing, at the heart of it was untruthfulness pride and a desire for dominance. And friends, we need to acknowledge that even here in our precious community at CTK, we too are just as prone to untruthfulness and pride and a domineering spirit. Friends, we need to be mindful as we listen to this psalm that we ourselves are no less susceptible to the temptation to abuse others with our words. I mean, if we're honest, don't we all at least to some extent know this to be true? Aren't we all in some way or another familiar with how easy it is to talk unlovingly and uncharitably about those not present to engage in a little character assassination. Even sometimes when couched in a prayer request, like, brother, pray for me. I'm having trouble with so-and-so. Friends, haven't we all at some time or another thought to use our words either to hide or to distort the truth or to manipulate a situation or to exert a measure of control over someone, even over the ones we love, like our spouses and our friends, our children and our parents. You know, I imagine that uh, we're all familiar with that children's rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. But friends, this is a load of nonsense. <laughs> James, the brother of our Lord, in chapter 3 of his letter, he says, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And surely we know he's right. And not only because we believe that he was an inspired writer, but also from our own fallen experience, don't we? Brothers and sisters, when we lie and manipulate and abuse others through our words, we reflect the prideful and perverse image of those upon whom David in this very psalm, has called down the Lord's curse. And we need to take that to heart. Instead, as Christians, our words ought to reflect the godliness and faithfulness of the one whose name we bear, who's called us to be his people and who has joined us together as his body. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4:25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Well, as we move on in this psalm in verse 5, we see David, the psalmist, assuming the role of the prophet. Speaking the very words of the Lord and what he says rings like thunder. He says, because the poor are plundered. Because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Friends, this is the Lord's direct and resounding response to David's desperate cry. In fact, the text itself underscores this by using the same basic words in David's cry, Save, O Lord. And the Lord's own pledge here to place the helpless in safety. And what's especially striking to me here is that the the Lord responds because the poor are plundered and because the needy groan and because they long for salvation. You see, we might have expected to hear the Lord respond in anger because of the audacity of the wicked who say at the end of verse 4, who is master over us? But instead, we hear him respond in compassion to the cries of the oppressed. And friends, I think this teaches us something about the heart of our Lord, that he's particularly attuned to the needs of his people and to all those who long for salvation. The psalmist says in Psalm "O oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. But perhaps you're sitting here, today. Suffering in silence as you endure the verbal assaults of supposed friends or trusted authorities. And you're feeling like you have no one left to turn to for relief. Friends, I want you to know that you're not alone. And you're not without help. David teaches us in this psalm that if you would but turn to him. The Lord God Almighty stands ready to help you, promising with thunderous power, I will now arise. I will place you in the safety for which you long. Friends, these are astonishing words. They come to us like a soothing balm to a festering wound. And when David himself speaks these words, he's so overcome by their precious truthfulness and their stark contrast with the lies of the wicked all around him that his poetic heart bursts forth in simile, saying in verses 6 and 7, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified, seven times you O lord will keep them you will guard us from this generation forever here it's as if david were giving his amen to the lord's words it's as if he were saying yes lord i know this will be so though all the slippery words of the wicked are worthless like the filthy dross of the refinery Yours, Lord, yours are as pure as the purest silver. You see, friends, he believes the Lord completely. And in doing so, he finds rest in his tender words. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the Lord speaks these same tender words to you and to me today however helpless you might be feeling, through whatever suffering or abuse you might now be enduring, his promise to place you in the safety for which you long is just that, his promise. It's his unalloyed and utterly trustworthy promise. And he offers it to you through his beloved son, Jesus Christ through his perfect and pure word made flesh. You see, like the oppressed in this psalm, Jesus also suffered the lies and deceit and abuse of wicked men. But he did so in perfect endurance and without sin, so that he might offer himself up as a pure and perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And he says to us, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, if we would but put our trust in Jesus Christ, if we confessing our sinfulness and our helplessness would but humble ourselves before him, and recognize that in Him alone there is abounding mercy and infinite power to save, no matter how daunting the enemy might now appear, like David, we would find perfect rest for our souls. Let me make just a brief comment about how David brings this psalm to a close in verse 8. Notice that he sort of circles back around and makes mention once again of the pervasive, enduring wickedness around him. And perhaps this might seem like a rather discouraging way to end a psalm that confesses so fully David's confidence in the Lord. But friends, I think, we, I think here we need to recognize That although the Lord's salvation is absolutely sure, it might not be immediate. In fact, oftentimes it won't be. You see, in his infinite and inscrutable wisdom, the Lord at times calls you and me to endure suffering at the hands and at the mouths of those who would exalt the foolishness of men. And he does so. He calls us to endure until he comes again in glory, both to judge and to save. And so I think David's words here are a reminder for us to pray fervently as we wait patiently upon the Lord's deliverance. It's a call for us to place our confidence not in our circumstances, but in the Lord always, Trusting in his word and in his indwelling spirit who, through our suffering, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I think Calvin put it best in his comments on this verse, and I'll close with what he says. He says, it is therefore highly necessary for us to cut off the occasion of our distrust and whenever any doubt respecting the faithfulness of God's promises steals in upon us, we ought immediately to lift up against it this shield, that the words of the Lord are pure. Friends, let's pray. Oh, God. Your words are indeed pure, like the purest silver, without dross, no filth, utterly trustworthy. O oh, Father, impress that upon our hearts and our minds, even as we struggle with sin and the attacks of the enemy. O oh, Father, use this psalm to strengthen our faith, to bolster our confidence in you. We ask all these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.